But I wanted to take this opportunity for us to really pick these guys' brains and start to um, take something that we can actually use because uh, obviously uh, Paul will be here next weekend, but, but Adam goes home on Monday. But I don't want this to just fall away to nothing. I want us to be actually able to grab onto something and use it to take into our walk and our life to actually allow it to grow us and change us. So I'm, we're going to have the opportunity to ask some questions. But I just want you to understand this is not a time for dream interpretations. Adam's not going to interpret your dream now. We, we're we're going to come out of that and we're going to talk more about how it's, it's useful and how we can learn the skills ourselves to start to actually press into our own dream interpretation, our own walk with the Holy Spirit. So please don't ask, a dream, ask for him to interpret a dream now because it'll look silly because we're just going to say no. Okay? But it can be, um, it can be a question of what about this type of dream or rather than me going into details, you might want to ask a question or a general question about dreams or that's, that's okay, but I'm not going to sit here and interpret your dreams because that's actually going to bog down the meeting and for the Q&A. So. And the other thing I also want to say as well, please don't take the microphone as a chance to do a 20-minute preach and then a question at the end. Try and get the question in as quickly as we can and keep it a question. And I, I say this because I, I, want to, I want for all of us to maximize the amount that we can out of these guys and actually learn some things and, and take, have some takeaways. So if we can make our questions short and concise and ask about what it is that we're wondering. Is that okay? Is everyone okay? No one's upset? No one's offended? Fantastic. I like it. I'm going to start so that we can get the ball rolling and while you guys all have a chance to thank you very much so that we can all have a chance to think. So my question, where I want to start, is that we, <clears throat> why isn't the church seeing the apostolic and the prophetic operating in, in I guess, some of what we've seen the last two days, and, and we're not really seeing the church operate in the prophetic and, and, and the apostolic? Why is that, and what can we do to start to bring that back into the house to actually see it grow us and bring us into a place of maturity? Yeah, that's a, a great question that I've heard before. Um... I think fundamentally you, you, you have to make a doctrinal decision and you have to ask the question, are the fivefold gifts, the Ephesians 4.11 gifts for today? If your answer is no, in other words, you take a cessationist view that those things are finished, then you won't see that you won't recognise those gifts because you're not looking for them and, and you will assume those graces no longer exist within the body of Christ to build it up. If, however, you take a different doctrinal point of view, and again, this is revelation, some take very clear view that, no, they're definitely gone, the, the apostles finished with, with the Bible being written, the canons of Scripture are finished and closed. The difficulty with that is that you really have to work the Scriptures in a particular way that, that might deny their normal, ordinary meaning to get to that conclusion. I don't want to have a doctrinal argument, but if you take that view then you're not going to recognise those gifts and you will build predominantly out of a pastor-teacher model and that's basically where the church is today. Uh, apart than if you're in the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church and it has its own systems and structures. If you believe those graces exist today and if you believe the predominance of the Holy Spirit moving in the church, which is the administration of God in the new wineskin, then you will see those graces are necessary for the equipping, as I said this morning, Ephesians 4.11 produces Ephesians 4.12.
4.11 is there, the grace is there for the body to come into the full stature of Christ, oneness in Christ, and into spiritual maturity. If that is the KPI or the hallmark test of the gift, then I have a problem that those gifts no longer exist because at the moment, I don't see the body of Christ around the world in spiritual maturity in the way that Jesus modelled. So who becomes our prototype? Jesus. So he ascends and from his governmental realm, he gives a grace that serves the body to build it up into him through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of his words that bring life and establish us. The prophetic plays a particular role with the apostolic. So the apostolic or the apostle is like the thumb. He can move in every or she can move in. And can I say it's not gender specific. So the apostle is like the thumb. The apostle is first to create the environment and the structure and the release for every other fivefold gift. And he can move or she can move in each of the other gifts, but often not to the degree that each of the separate gifts themselves can operate in. So I can move revelatory, I can move prophetically, I can move pastorally, I've done crusades, I can get people saved, and I can teach. I can move in whatever's needed in a context. But what complements that, Paul says, is we are building, being built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Now again, there's a doctrinal argument about that. Some would say that if you're a sensationist, that means... Uh, not what we're talking about. So doctrine determines it. Doctrine will determine your practice. Your theology determines how you live. Does that make sense? So how you believe, what you believe is how you'll live, what you'll recognise and what you'll come into, what you honour and what you'll receive. The difficulty is that each of those gifts are Christ-given, not self-given. That means I can run around... As a lawyer, I say this, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, you can call it a dog all day, but it's a duck. All right? So it's not about what I call myself. It's about the grace that I've established, developed, and reveal. In other words, you determine by the evidences of the grace that flows through the mature expression of, of the gift who I am to you. Paul said to some, to, to some I am, to some I'm not. Paul had a problem in his own church that he fathered in Corinth. Apollos was the apostle, and he truly was. To Paul, because, because Paul didn't take the stipend in the way that Apollos did, they didn't think he was a legitimate apostle. So he had to establish his apostleship in the letter to the Corinthians. It's not about us running around establishing ourselves. It's Christ being established in us through the grace to equip others and it's what you recognize is what you receive does that make sense so how you recognize somebody by the evidence of the grace working and you you get to determine it then what you receive and honor is imparted into you so how you receive the gift is the reward you get when it comes to the prophetic i would say that um i'll probably covered some of it yesterday but um the prophetic giftings or the prophets aren't really recognized in the especially in the western community church uh because uh the pastors you know god bless them and i'm i'm speaking also from pastoral experience there's a lot of pastors are afraid to lose control 
And what happens when you got a prof, we got pro, the prophetic operating in the church, it can be challenging, but also uh, there's a, there is a lack of maturity with with a lot of the prophetic ministries, uh, and that's one of the biggest issues. But what happens is the pastors, because of this, there's there's uh, immature pro- prophets in the church trying to have a go or trying to find their way, it can cause a bit of a mess and also it can cause chaos. And the pastor gets spooked and throws the baby out with the bathwater. And what happens is the pastor is operating in more of a, a lot of the pastors, I'll say this, not every pastor, but a lot of leaders in churches are operating out of that elitism mentality uh, and can have a sense of control uh, where really a true spiritual father, and a lot of us are probably parents here, and if you're a father and you see your son or daughter fulfill some of the desires that you wanted to do when you were younger but you never achieved them, when you see your child fulfill some of the things you wanted to do, it actually pleases you. You get, you get really excited and you get blessed by that. Well, true spiritual father should embrace and, and have see their children or, or the congregation go beyond them, right? But at the same time, uh, there needs to be some sort of government of, you know, uh, allowing the prophets have their way, but there's got to be some sense of maturity and have other experienced uh, so-called prophets or experienced prophetic people come in and equip uh, some of the young prophets. Because what, happen is, what happens is, is, is that... Uh, Things can go wrong, and we've experienced that at Field of Dreams where you have things can go wrong. But we don't throw it out. We actually bring correction. That's why 1 Corinthians 14 is very important. There's room for correction, okay? You, you, a word needs to be judged. And uh, if, there, if there's room for correction, it doesn't mean if you get it wrong and you miss it, it doesn't mean that you're a false prophet. That's why the, it talks about judging and correcting a prophetic word. It says that in 1 Corinthians 14. It's there because there's room for error. And if you miss it, it doesn't mean you're a false prophet. So, you know, in the Old Testament, they say stone him, but they won't do that in the New Testament. So there's room for correction. Uh, and uh, I really believe it's, it's time for the body of Christ to become a prophetic voice. And it's time for prophets to rise up corporately i believe there shouldn't be any lone ranger and i believe that when if a prophet comes listen to me carefully on this if a prophet comes from the wilderness from nowhere and comes in and starts speaking to your church that's unscriptural in the new testament as well because uh, john the baptist did that but he's an old testament prophet and him crying in the wilderness is a sign a prophetic sign of what israel was was in the wilderness israel was in a barren place it was in the wilderness and he was a prophetic sign crying out of the wilderness of Israel being in a barren place. Okay, so the prophets, it's all about relationship. If you want to grow in the prophetic, you need to build relationship with your leaders. And in time, but someone said to me, but my, my pastor doesn't receive the things of the Spirit or you need to pray where you need to be. Seriously, because if you can't agree then you need to go somewhere where you have like-minded people who are in the same page as you. Because it says in Acts chapter 2, they were like-minded when they came together and there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So you need to be where you fit and where you're in agreement with people. 
And sometimes some people are staying in places because it's a soul tie and they might have got saved there 30 years ago and they feel emotionally attached where they can't break away and they want to be prophetic but they keep getting shut down. You need to go and pray and ask the Lord where you're going to be with like-minded people. Does that make sense? Can I just say this? Every grace and every spiritual gift that's given, first of all, the grace is given by Jesus, the ascension gift, and the Holy Spirit gives gifts. You've got to take what has been given and develop it. It doesn't mean you come into maturity simply because you've been called to it. You've got to come to maturity, and that's decision after decision. And on the way, you're going to make some mistakes. Making mistakes is part of your development. If you keep repeating the same mistake over and over again, that's the spirit of stupid. And there's no wisdom in that. But you learn from your mistakes so that you can grow. And sometimes you need somebody more mature around you to come along and say, hey, that was amazing, but what if? And coach you and develop you. Why? Because we just don't drop into maturity. You don't become Yoda because you've got a library card. Okay? I think somebody quoted that on Facebook recently. I think, oh, I think it was me. It, you, 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 you don't... What happens in the body of Christ is we go, well, I've got the gift and now I'm the instant maturity. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. And if you want to move in the prophetic, the biggest thing that you will need to refine are the issues of your heart. Issues of the heart. It is the most important, the higher gifts need a heart of purity to carry them successfully. So character, graces and giftedness are one you can't separate them out when you get a gift without character you get a lone ranger and you get problems because they're the center of attention not jesus does it make sense yeah 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 i just want to ask one more thing i think it's we're teasing something out here Uh, you're talking about adam was talking about um leaders that struggle to let go of the control and i think for myself and i think other leaders as well one of the difficulties with the prophetic gift is that you actually don't get any level of control. There's a fullness that has to go into the Holy Spirit. So can you, can you just talk a little bit about how often believers will believe in the prophetic, but they will say, but it doesn't look like that. Can you just give a little bit of context as to, to, to saying, well, operating the prophetic is fully into the Holy Spirit, but we, we don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to move. So is there a, a fear that's created around the fact of because we can't control it, we just remove it? Use your own mark, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's it's fear of losing control, so they want to remove it. But they a lot of like there's a lot of Pentecostal churches who say they're Pentecostal, but they're not really Pentecostal. They've lost. Let me say this. Now I won't mention any church denominations. But I was in a church year a Pentecostal church when I got born again. They kept saying, we've got revival. Revival's coming. Revival's going to come. Yes, revival's coming. Wow, and I'm thinking, what's revival? Okay. Uh, I just got born again, wet behind the ears. Revival, they reckon some sort of word. There's a word called revival. That's coming. Yeah, wow. So, but they're talking about it for years. They're prophesying it, and they're moving in, the, in some sort of measure of the gifts, but they're sort of still fearful. But then a guy called Rodney Howe Brown comes to Adelaide. And it was like a meteoroid hit Adelaide. Hmm. People were just blowing off their chairs. 
rolling around, laughing, hysterical. There was just such an upper room encounter. It rocked the whole city. And then they go, we don't want revival. <laughs> and there was this, there were people with placards saying this is of the devil because it looks stiff when God moves. It might not look the way you think it's going to look. He can come in a way which is different. But sure, it's got to be, uh, it's got to have some foundational understanding with the word of God because everything needs to be tested. I mean, sometimes you can get, see, when people react to the Holy Spirit, you know, they say that's not of God when they're shaking and you've got Sister Chicken walking, walking around like that. All right? But what that is, is people responding, right? People actually, it's their emotions responding to the anointing. So it's not the Holy Spirit, like, make, it's not the Holy Spirit manifesting in them. It's their reaction. See, many people are, are wired emotionally differently. And when people have their, when it comes to romance, when it comes to different type of occasions in their lives, they respond differently. Some of them can be just like a mannequin or somebody can be reacting emotionally to an, an experience. So when the Holy Spirit comes, there's certain different people with different makeups of emotions can react. And this doesn't mean it's from the enemy. It's just that you've got to, as Bob Jones would say, you need to control your spiritual liquor. <laughs> you know what I mean? You need to, you really need to be able to sometimes maintain it. But sometimes, I mean, I've learned that, but when the power of God hits you, I can't sometimes, when it really comes to the fullness with me, I can't sit on the chair. I just, just it's like you're face down like the priests uh, in uh, King Solomon's temple. It actually happened as well, the Kavod glory. But, let, but, my, but, well, but the answer to my question is that pastors, you know, it's... <laughs> The, it says that, uh, I think in Corinthians, I think it says that, Second Corinthians, that, that uh, the carnal mind does not understand the things of God. And we need to be open to receive it. And the leaders, at the same time, there needs to be some control and order. But at the same time, you need to actually allow, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, and I've been doing it for 10 years in the church. Uh, but sometimes you've got to allow God to be God. And there's a time for that to happen, but also there's a time afterwards to be able to disciple as well. So there's, see, what I really was blessed about is that there's a prophet, and I was talking about it to these gentlemen, about a prophet in, in Florida. They don't even know he's a prophet, but he's very accurate. I was playing a recording how he was just spelling out all the stuff I'm going through in my life. And he's a real prophet, but he says... The, my church don't realise I'm a prophet. They don't, I don't call myself a prophet. He's got a church of 3,000 people. But what he does is he has two separate meetings in the week. He's got one where it's a gathering and he, he gives them milk you know, the, and, and on the Sunday. And during the week he has this Holy Ghost crazy prophetic meeting. And if you want to grow and learn and go into that meeting, it's up to you. So I thought that was a really good balance there. And I just think we just need the wisdom of God and not, there's no formula to it really. I don't know if that's answers your question. And, and again, it comes back to how you want to read the scriptures. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because most people are scared of the Holy Spirit. That's the truth of the matter. A, a lot of people are scared of the Holy Spirit being God in their life and in the church. And, and because we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. And we don't understand what the Holy Spirit is designed to do. 
and we don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit in building the church. So if we build a doctrine that excludes the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit moves, we don't have a grid, we don't have a reference point scripturally for what's going on. And that's where we get fearful because we don't understand. And what, what we fear, we try and control. So we literally shut God out of his own church. And then we build in the flesh asking God to bless it. That is not the New Testament pattern. The new administration is not grace. We don't go from law to grace. You go from the administration of the law to the administration of the spirit that is the grace of God promise working in your life and working through your life to build a church that the world cannot overcome. Does that make sense? Can I add to that? I love John 3 when Jesus talks to Nicodemus. I mean, he's a great teacher of Israel. I mean, you think about this. He's a great teacher of Israel. That's like saying somebody's the great teacher of the New Testament on planet Earth. You know what I mean? Like, he's a great teacher. But then the, the Lord said to him, you're a great teacher of Israel, but you don't know these things. He talks about the Holy Spirit like a wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And we need to sort of change our whole grid and our whole thinking to, and be a new wineskin to receive this because there's a lot of great teachers out there, great pastors out there, but, you know, some of them don't understand. They really don't have that understanding of the Holy Spirit. The, the new wineskin is not a new structure. It's the relationship between God and one another that holds the wine of the Holy Spirit moving in you and through you. All right, does anyone have any questions? Not just about this, we can go somewhere completely different if you'd like. Oh, cheers, mate. You're going to hold it for me, thing. Oh, super. Um, how do you identify those gifts as an individual? I know you spoke about the maturity of those gifts and you know, being with others that are more mature to, to mature that individual. But as, as, an, as individuals, as all part of the body, how do we, as parts of the body, then identify which of those five gifts we have? Or are all those gifts for all the body or just some of the body? So Ephesians 4.11 talks about the ascension gifts or offices. So we've got to distinguish between an office, which is governmental in nature, spiritually governmental in nature, and a gift of the spirit. The officers, some are called. Not everyone is called. So they, they take on a unique role to serve the body of Christ. Within the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. Now, there's uh, Les Summerall and all of these guys used to teach there's one, one particular Holy Spirit gift that you can move in. I take a different view. They are the gifts of the Holy Spirit for a context. They're not for you. They're to flow through you for someone else. Good. Good. So if I'm in a situation where healing is needed, my faith extends to the Holy Spirit for the gift of healing to come upon me to go through me. Does that make sense? So I'm looking contextually because I'm moving in the way of love. When you move in the way of God's love and see the need, the Holy Spirit provides the spiritual solution through, an, through a grace 
that comes upon you. It's not your gift. It's his gift that you carry and steward through a heart of love. Does that make sense? Similarly, the grace office gift has to be carried with the heart of God, like a father. They're governmental gifts. And so government rests in the heart of love, God's love. The throne, the, the, the authority is carried through the heart. The gift is carried in the hand. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a simple delineation that I use. The, so the, the gift, the grace, no, the authority is carried in the heart, but the gift is carried in the hand. When Jesus went out, he gave them both exousia, governmental authority, his governmental authority, and a grace which he called dunamis, power. The two things work together, authority and power. But authority moves through the heart, power moves through your hands. When your heart is right, heaven follows. Now here's the point. When Jesus had compassion upon them, what happened? He had all of heaven available to him to move into the context. He moved his heart to the heart of the Father. When compassion pulls on your heart, it's, it's like a radar that says, I want to move here. I want to move. If we say, well, oh, I don't move in healing. Now, some can. Don't get me wrong. There's a whole other Roman set of gifts as well. But generally speaking, how do I know what I'm wired towards is what I'm led towards often. So, like, I'll give you an example. For years, I cried out for the gift of prophecy. For years and years and years and years. And God started giving me encounters and encounters after encounters. And because I desired it, Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts, including prophecy, doesn't he? But he says, that's all useless if you don't have love. Right? The church is hell-bent on gifts, but it's not hell-bent on love. I mean, heaven bent on love. Do you know what I'm saying? We, we, we so emphasize we want the gifts. Why? Because we want, we want people to associate the gift with me. Not heaven. Yeah, that's good. That's real good. Are you with me? So the clue about who... And, and can I just say this? The Holy Spirit will flow through whoever because it's the Holy Spirit's gift. He's not looking for your perfection. He's looking for your opportunity. Are you with me? Listen, if God can speak through a donkey, don't think you're any better. And some of us behave like an ass when we talk. If you don't, so what I'm trying to say is, don't get wrapped up. They're not your gifts. They're his gifts moving through you. But what is yours is character. And that's where authority starts to build through you. So when you step into a room, Jesus is already ahead of you. Now you've got a platform for the gift to move, for the grace to move. Yeah, that's good. You said it all, man. <laughs> Next question. Do you want to add? Next, Next question. What Next have we got? I, I, I agree. All I'll be doing is repeating what Paul's saying. <laughs> I never remember any dreams. I feel like I don't dream, but I really would like to dream. I even have a pad and a pen next to my table just in case... I try to remember something for the next day to write. So is there anything to encourage dreams or does something in particular hinder them? And then is there some sort of uh, literature that is really good for interpreting those dreams? It's a great question. 
There's a great book called The Divinity Code. I'm just going to get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Is it there, Joe? Yeah, there's a book called The Divinity Code to Understand Your Dreams and Visions, which gives you... You've got to read the ten chapters before... Um, before you go to the dictionary. Don't go to the dictionary. It's not a formula. And not every metaphor is in the dictionary because it's a reference book. But uh, God speaks to you in dreams where he might use a metaphor that might be completely different to somebody else's way of seeing things. And he'll speak to you where you're at. Uh, for example, you know, usually dogs generally can be a negative sense, can be unbelievers because... When the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 said that uh, even the dogs eat from the master's table, he was referring those who are outside of Israel, who weren't actually part of Israel. They were the, uh, you know, the not lost sheep of Israel. They were actually away from it, and they referred to dogs. So it could be negative, or even black dogs could be demons, uh, or wolves can be. But a dog, also a pet. I'm just saying this as an example. If you have a pet that you love very much, a cute dog. It could mean something completely different. See, Jesus can be your best friend. And a dog can be your best friend. It could be the Lord. Or even it could be your, your pets could represent your children that have grown up and moved on. So there's so many different levels and ways God can speak to you. And see, it's no formula with dream interpretation. He'll speak to you and meet you where you're at. And as he spoke to, in, to the disciples, Jesus taught in parables. He spoke to the he spoke to the farmer about using parables about sowing and reaping. He was using their own. Uh, he's using their own environment. He was teaching in parables that relate to their own environment to release revelation to them, and also to the businessman about burying talents, or the fisherman about going out making fishes of men. So the Lord will speak to you different ways in parables. Who He'll speak to you and give you revelations through parables. But besides that, I only dream. You know, I have sometimes have problems remembering my dream. And sometimes you might have a dream and you might experience this, a lot of you here, and you might, you, you knew you had a dream last night, but you can't remember it. But all of a sudden you might see a bee land on you. You go, oh, I had a dream about a bee last night. It reminds you about something, an incident will remind you about a dream you had last night. Have you experienced that? So that's why it's very good to, uh, you know, to be open and ask the Lord to show you a when you, when you don't remember your dream, say, Lord, give me a symbol today to remind me about the dream I had last night. That's what I do. Okay. Now, I only have a... It's funny that I teach on dreams and visions and God gave me this gift and he can give it to all of us, but I only probably have one significant supernatural dream probably once or twice a week. I don't dream every night. My wife has five dreams a night and one, each one is war and peace or gone with the wind, you know? <laughs> and I'm sitting Not there. that she's gone with the wind. <laughs> but, you know, it's really long, epic dream, and you're sort of like, yeah, yeah, then what happened, then what happened? You know, it's kind of like that. But, my <laughs> but I want to encourage you, if you're having trouble dreaming and you can't remember your dream, I would just, uh, I would say that meditation and fixing your mind on things above where Christ is seated and exercise your imagination on the promises of God, it actually enables you to have vivid dreams. Did you know that? And when you go to that place when you're worshipping, and before you go to sleep, just go to that place of worshipping, praying in the Spirit, as you saw me probably do today. I really have an understanding what it is to tap into the 
wind shaft. I call it a wind shaft where you just get elevated up. It's like Isaiah 40. And when I'm in that zone, I start to see I'm, st- I'm another person. My wife says to me, you're two different people. You know, you, you're, you know you're, a, you're different when you're at home, but when you're on the pulpit, you're completely somebody else. You know, you're completely different. So I, I go in that place where before I go to sleep some of the times, I go in that place of worship and just meditation. And then when I fall asleep, that's when I can have my dreams become vivid and I can start to remember dreams. I have supernatural dreams because I'm closer to the gate who is Jesus when you worship. Uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. It's very normal for, not to, for you to not remember your dreams. It happens a lot. It happens to me. Uh, some people say, I never dream, but they actually do. But they're probably, they might be in a place where they're more intellectual and working everything out with a reason rather than the right side of the brain, which is more supernatural. Does that make sense? So, so the Psalms give you the secret. David gave the Lord his midnight hours. So as Adam says, this is what I've done, this is what I've taught other people to do, and they dream. That, that 15 minutes, 10 minutes before you go to bed, reposition your spirit, reposition your soul, reposition yourself before you go to sleep, and invite God to come in and give you dreams. Create, create a request before God, but position yourself there with your heart towards God, and worship and thanksgiving at the end of the day. Invariably what will happen is you will wake up in the morning with your spirit in praise before you wake your eyes. Now, here's the good thing. When you, when you go to bed like that, you wake up like that, God gives you the dreams closer to you waking up. That's when you're going to dream. You're in your dream cycle the deepest. And here's the point. God will wake you up with creative solutions for the day. Why? Because his mercies are fresh every morning. You get to create your day instead of respond to your history and your worry. You go to bed worried, I promise you, you'll wake up worried. You go to bed praising, you wake up thanksgiving. Next question. Oh, cool. Sorry. Um, Adam, I was just wondering uh, a while back, it's probably months now, when you brought forth the prophecy about uh, the dark time coming with the election, if, if people didn't realise... Um, my question is, we've got a, a, a born-again Christian Prime Minister, we've got a Jewish Treasurer, um, we're in a, a really incredible position spiritually, um, and as you made your prophecy, sorry, this is going to be a little bit longer than a short question, when you gave your prophecy, you were talking about if people didn't wake up, there would be a dark time. Do you feel since then um, that some ministers have woken up? I know that some denominations are really praying for the Prime Minister, and I'm not asking you to uh, predict the election, but it, it's, it looks good in the spirit, you know what I mean? Yep. It does look good, and I have noticed through a combination of me and also Margaret Court and others, even Field of Dreams, Todd Weatherly, a good friend of mine, the church that I planted with, uh, they are getting people to fast. They're calling people to fast and pray for the uh, up-and-coming event. And I think it's important. And I do sense a rallying that's happening. And I really believe, I was only saying today, or I think last night, that I think that I really believe that Scott Morrison or ScoMo has a big chance of going over the line and because it's prayer. And I, I wasn't foretelling anything. I just got woken up. When I have an encounter like that, I get woken up with a vivid encounter of a foot in the door at 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. on the 2nd of September. I released it. And you were saying, 
that how do you identify whether you're operating in the spirit of prophecy or the office of a prophet or how do you identify that let me tell you when you start operating in the office of a prophet this is what it looks like you throw it it's like throwing a stone this is what something that paul said you throw a stone amongst dogs and one of them yelps it's actually you release a word like that all of a sudden it goes into the secular media which it did and a jezebel spirit starts to manifest <laughs> that's when you know you're operating in the office of a prophet when you're getting hate mail and people wishing you're dead and one you know like it's it's pretty full-on it's it's a different level and i don't want to be negative but it's a different level you need to have thicker skin than a politician right when you release a word like that that's a sign uh, and i got i come under fire because it actually went as far as the uk news my word and what's really amazing the guardian if you if you google on the news section adam f thompson darkness the Guardian released the whole word, word for word, and didn't even argue about it or complain, said this is just a word of prophecy. <laughs> uh, so, um, but I want to say to you, yes, it, it, the, what's going on with the world right now is such a crucial time with the whole political correctness is actually paving a way for, mis for Islam. I'm writing a book, I've just finished a book called The Elijah Invitation, and it's talking about how technology is changing AI it's going to change everything in the next 40 years. You won't recognize the world in another 40 years from now. And Islam is the Antichrist spirit because it has the Mosaic law. It has all the ingredients except there's one missing ingredient, which is the Messiah. And that's actually coming. And it's just a, such a deception that's coming to the world. So the whole culture is going to, our culture is going to change. That's why we need to rise up and be supernatural people because Daniel's and and the Daniels and the Josephs are corporately going to rise up and stand before leaders and Nebuchadnezzars are going to bow the knee to God. All right? So, I think it's brilliant. I think one of the things we get when we get prophetic words over a nation from governmental prophets is we misunderstand how prophecy works. We go, well, there's a prophetic word, it's a done deal, we become a hyper-Calvinist, it's just all done. That's not how it works. There's an invitation. There has to be an agreement between earth and heaven. And so that prophetic word is a declaration that the church, who is the ecclesia, who is literally meant to be a legislating body, that's the language Jesus used to describe his church. Now, he said, I'm going to build my church on this rock. The revelation of him, yes, but the location geographically was at the foot of Mount Hermon at a place they called Caesarea Philippi. You need to understand the location in which Jesus was talking. That was the place where the watchers came down in Genesis. That was the place where the gods, who were meant to be the overseers under God over the nations, were being worshipped in a demonic way. He stood in the very place where Satan was being worshipped. The principalities were being worshipped. And he said, my church that I'm building on me, they're going to legislate the finished work of the cross to bring liberation to all of the nations against you. In other words, there'll be one king and the body on earth looks like the kingdom in heaven. We have the ability to receive a prophetic word and then join with it, bring agreement with it, start to pray it into being that it may be established. It's an invitation. It's not a conclusion unless it's the sovereign word of God and he's going to do it. And there are certain sovereign acts. But who governs a nation can and cannot be a sovereign act. The word was clear. You need to pray. 
the, the hour of the dream is important. The definition of the dream is important. There is a door open. It's not a done deal. And that's what Adam said. The church has to come back to its prophetic, legislative, spiritual capacity to start hearing what God is saying about a nation and start decreeing it, start declaring it, and starting establishing it. What you win on the mountain, you will win in the valley. Next question. Anyone? Anyone? This may be kind of stupid, but I just have a fast question. Um, you said yesterday that there were like more than one heavenly realm. Can you explain that? And then the second one was, where do the false prophets like get their information from? Like what realm? Okay. Hey, good questions. And uh, the heavenly realms is the atmosphere that goes on around us. It's, and there's multiple levels. It's, it doesn't say second heaven in the Bible, but, but Apostle Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 13, sorry, 12, excuse me. 2 Corinthians 12, he gets caught up into the third heaven. All right, so they say, therefore, there must be a second heaven. But I think, I believe the second heaven has multiple dimensions. All right, and it's the heavenlies. It's like a highway of information. All right, and there can be angelic activity. There can be different kingdoms of the demonic realm. Uh, there's different doors that, are, that can access different type of realms. But, but there's angelic activity, but also the Holy Spirit is dwelling amongst us as well. So there's different multiple dimensions in that realm, which is around us. Now, it's interesting. It's, uh, you talk about prophets, false prophets picking up stuff. The false prophets can pick up similar information. All right? And it's whether you're in the council of God or outside the council of God. And when you're in the council of God, God will give you wisdom to give you the authority to what to do with it and the wisdom of how to govern it. For example, um, I haven't shared this, but I, I think we're all pretty full-on mature believers here. And I want you to listen to me carefully so you don't misunderstand me. Um, I've dealt with the lust of my youth, but I'll never say that I've arrived. You're always going to be on your guard because I'm a red-blooded man. We all have these issues you've got to deal with. But I've dealt with it where you know that I don't have a lust problem and I'm, I'm not into pornography or anything like that. You've dealt with that. But however, you could be in a room or I'm in a place and all of a sudden you're getting these, like you might have these lustful dreams or you're getting attacked by these and you know that's just unusual. That's not me. I don't, I, and if you're ignorant and you're not really experience enough you, the enemy will twist that and say ah you have a spirit of lust and you can end up can mess you up but what i'm trying to say is that you're actually picking up stuff locationally in the area in the heavenlies around you and i was in a, and you could actually it's a word of knowledge you might be picking up some demonic stuff that's operating around you you see we're like car radios a car radio picks up sound frequencies if it's on the right channel like, like a Christian channel, you'll actually get some good information. But we are like car radios, but we're not picking up sound frequencies. We're actually picking up spiritual frequencies around us. And that's why we've got to be in the council of God. We need to be in the Holy Spirit so we know what to do with it. Because sometimes you might pick up something and you go, oh, but it's not you. You know it's actually not within you. It's actually coming from outside. And when I was in a Bible college once, I won't mention some, anywhere specific but i was in a bible college with adrian teaching and i was getting the same 
arrows of this lustful, these sort of pornography thoughts. I'm thinking, well, and I just, I know that I don't have that issue. So, so I had to actually release it. And there was that, it turned out there were two students fornicating in the actual, uh, uh, in the school. So we had to sit down with a father's heart and they had to repent and we had to pray for them and they had to actually sort it out. So that's how, and that was a word of knowledge. Am I making sense, everybody? Okay. And it might be stuff with violence as well. You might, I'm, I'll sit next to a woman and I saw, I just, I just saw her getting punched in the face and kicked in the stomach. And I thought, oh, I mean, that's not me. I don't, and I went, ah, oh, she's been abused. She's, uh, she's going through, and I ha we had to minister to her. And, she, you know, you need a father's heart so you don't do it, handle it wrong. But she's been physically abused. So am I making sense? Yeah. There's a spirit around, yeah, and that's where, um, uh, now my point is about false prophets or witches or those clairvoyants are picking up similar stuff, they're picking up that, but they don't have the wisdom, the counsel from heaven of how to interpret it, okay? So it's different to the word of the Lord, right? But they're picking up stuff, it's, a different, it's called discerning. They're picking up that stuff and what they're doing is they're prophesying it on to somebody and putting curses on people. Am I making sense? So we get stuff like that. Like I'm saying, when we get it, we have the governmental role to reverse it, shut it down, dispatch it away from that person, drown those demonic powers in the blood of Jesus, mess up hell, reverse it with the kingdom released over the whole area change the atmosphere that's how that's called governing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven but what happens is these dark witches clairvoyants and false prophets and even ignorant prophets in the body of christ can see it and misinterpret it and start imparting it on somebody stirring up fear first and then prophesying it on them and they actually take on that curse am i making sense all right, so that's what prophets can do. I want to share one more thing about a woman came to me, and this is going to be very revealing to you, right? A woman came to me and she said, I'm uh, having a coffee with a couple of other people, and she said, oh, I'm done with all this prophetic stuff. I'm, I don't know, Adam, I'm, I'm, I don't agree with it anymore. And I said, what's the problem? And she said, oh, I was at a meeting, and the church is about to, the lease is running out, and we need a new building, and it's urgent. So I'm praying... And I knew there was a train track down just about two kilometers away. And I'm praying. We're praying together. And I had this vision of a building right on the tr train track just about next to it. It was literally, I, I saw it on the track, but it means it's, and I, I, I believe there's a, there's a building right near the train track. And I said, oh, hallelujah, God's just showing me this building. She said to the pastor and the leaders, there's a building next to the train track. God's going to give it to So they're driving around, no building. There's no commercial building. Obviously, there's metropolitan housing, but there's no commercial building. Driving around, we can't find. You've missed it. Pastor said, what are you doing to us? You missed it. And she said, I just, I'm done. I'm, I, don't, I don't get it. Why would God do that? And I said, you know why? Because God wants to release wisdom. I'm excited for you. I always like to say glasses half full. <laughs> I'm excited for you because God's going to release wisdom. I'm going to pray for wisdom on you. Because you've misinterpreted what the Spirit is saying. And what I really believe the Lord is saying, you need to go back to the past and tell them that the lease is going to go back on track. 
She interpreted it literally instead of metaphorically. So there's a parable behind that. I said the lease is going to go back on track. You need to go back and tell the pastors that that vision was real. Ah, and you know what? It went back on track and they re-signed the lease. So there's elements of prophecy, right? So you have revelations. This is where a lot of people get wrong. They get the revelation, but they don't understand the application or the interpretation. So you have revelation, interpretation, application. When all three flow together, that's when you get accurate prophecy. Okay? And the other thing too is, is like everyone knows, can, I, can we just go a little, can we go a little bit deeper? Who wants to go a little bit deeper? All right. So you understand, don't you, that you're first a spiritual being. (laughs) This messes with everyone's head. But your first spirit and your spirit man and your soul are spirit in a human body. That interacts. You're a complex human being and and the physical interacts with the spiritual. Okay? That means you are wired for a spiritual realm that operates around you. There are parallel realms in the spirit, just like there's gamma rays and alpha rays and sound waves going out right now. You can't see them, but you can acknowledge them, right? So what you're hearing is a a sound that your brain interprets. Speech is an interpretation of a sound wave. It's phonics that the brain interprets and gives language to. So it is in the spirit. You have to understand that you're spiritual and you live in a spiritual and natural world. The spiritual and the natural are intersecting all the time and they're interrelated. And now we said this yesterday, so I need to explain this. Paul says first in the natural, then in the spiritual. He's talking about a particular context. He's saying man's first born naturally, then we're born of Jesus Christ spiritually. Does that make sense? Everything is first spiritual before it's natural. Why? Because God spoke through his son from the fullness of who he is. So the opening stanza of scripture in Genesis is in the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, and one earth. In the mechanical Hebrew, that means from the summit or source. It's got nothing to do with time. It's got to do with origins. From the source, Elohim in power, fattened and filled the heavens and the earth. With what? Himself. What does that mean? It means you're a spiritual person in a spiritual natural environment. And as as Adam says, your soul is receiving information and your spirit is receiving information. And you've got to learn how to engage the heavenly realm through the spirit interfacing with your heart and your soul you're meant to live heaven through your heart interfacing with your soul your mind your will your emotions to operate in your body into the world we've learned to be soulish first the soulish realm can operate to the spirit of this age which is darkness does that make sense so can we be influenced by spirits demons and those kinds of spiritual activity around us that are not godly. Yes. And can we sometimes prophesy out of our own mind? Yes. In fact, the prophets of old were rebuked by God for doing exactly that. And so a true prophet brings forward 
the wisdom and the counsel of the Holy Spirit as truth and life. It comes through, it builds, it establishes, it brings freedom, it brings love, it brings power to establish. So, so practically, aside from calling you every time I see a kitten on a lampstand, how can I be diligent with a picture God's given me, like the, the uh, house on the train track? How can I be diligent with that to really press into what God's really saying, aside from just having a crack at it and getting it wrong? Well, as I said before, praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, that actually uh, you're uttering mysteries. And those mysteries will become revelation. You actually line yourself up with Christ. And praying in tongues gave me, like I said yesterday, it gave me the ability to understand the language. It's another language. And uh, that's why, like I said, Jesus taught in parables. Um, there's so many different metaphors and symbols that Jesus used. Um, uh, so God speaks to us in, in a different language. And the reason why he does that, because someone might be thinking here right now that wasn't here yesterday, well, God speaks to me plainly. Okay, he does. He can speak to you plainly. But uh, before we had the GPS on our car and you're lost and you ask for someone for directions, they're standing there going, okay, uh, to go to, to actually go to the uh, to Westfield, you need to go down the street, turn left. You see in a roundabout, then you go left of the roundabout again. Then you see the school, and after the school, you go about 200 meters down right road, and then you see. And then you go, hang on a minute, I'm going to have to write this down. Uh, you can't take all in the information, but the GPS actually has little symbols, and it actually helps you to guide you. And that's why the Lord does use metaphors and symbols to communicate. He's a, he's a brilliant communicator. But also at the same time, he wants to give you that mystery so that it can also bypass the defense mechanism because when Nathan gave the word to David about adultery, he didn't go plainly for the juggler, so he was defensive. He said, that man should be put to death. But he spoke to him in a parable and he went, you're the man. So God can give you, speak to you in parables to bypass the defense mechanism, but also he wants you to search it out. Like I said yesterday, he wants you to be intimate with him. But, but, but praying in the spirit will unlock the mysteries and spending time and being intimate with him will release revelation. See, the rock, you said Peter, you know, Jesus said to Peter, this rock, uh, I'll build my church. The rock represents revelation. When Jacob was resting his head on the rock was a metaphor of coming close to Jesus, being intimate with Jesus and coming into the revelation of Jesus which lines you up with that gate of the angels ascending and descending. In Genesis 28, he rest, fell asleep on a rock. There's, all, there's a revelation behind those scriptures that the rock represents the revelation of Jesus which lined him up and was a promise of the new covenant era of being a walking portal. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you as well. Ask, ask for wisdom. Ask to be taught. Ask God to show you. Ask. I mean, I've done this all my life. I've asked God for the things I wanted to go after. And guess what? They don't just drop automatically. He wants to see if you're serious. And, and what you ask for is going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some effort. You know, because these deeper things are not cheap to God. He, he, he gives you salvations free. But everything else is going to cost you. We don't like that. Um, but that's the truth of the matter because intimacy actually costs you something of yourself. Yeah. 
You've got to learn how to give yourself. You've got to learn how to receive him. You've got to learn how to be with him and to hear from him and, and, and take your time. That, that's the biggest obstacle we have in a modern church, in a modern age, is time to hear and listen to God and allow the Holy Spirit to teach your heart through the scriptures. He, he will. I promise you, he will. Which is, He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. Which is what Adam was saying earlier this morning about the fact that you fasted for that long period of time. I, I, I just want to say well done for that. And I, 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 Fasting is so difficult, but you waited and you refused to move until God showed you. I think sometimes some of these truths that we are seeking after and we say, well, I can't do that. I don't have that or that doesn't happen to me. We go, yeah, but those guys who are operating in it so powerfully laid down their life and said, God, I'll wait for you. I will wait in that time like Moses. I'm not going to move here until you move first. Often God will turn up just after you've given up. And sometimes God will meet you where you're at. It might not be scriptural. Now, just don't be offended when I say this. Is God gave Jacob the promise, but he did it for the wrong way. He actually went through the wrong gate. He went through the gate of deception. Okay, so, but God still honored him because of the passion and the hunger. Okay, but then he did finally show Jacob, no, this is the right way. This is the right gate. It's me. But the deception, he kept sowing, trying to get the promise, and he got it, but he went through the wrong gate, and he reaped it with Laban, his uncle. Woke woke up with the wrong wife. Ah! You know what I mean? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And, and, And that's the message of John 10. That's what Jesus is talking about, the sheep gate. Okay, it's not a pastoral text. It, it, it's the text to say, everyone that comes before me has been a thief and a robber. They've tried to come in illegally, but I'm the true gate. Yeah. I'm the one that leads you in and out. That's so good. it's your yieldedness to the Holy Spirit that will lead you in and out through the true gate. That's good. Is this good? Is everyone getting something? Yes. Because you can't really say no, right? Who has the next, who has the next question? Does anyone else have another question before I go back to Arne? I'm going to go to 80 first. I'll come back there, though. Okay, so um, you talked earlier, I think it was Paul, about how the prophecy usually is more of a confirmation of something that God has spoken to you, right? Um, Now, in an instance, for example, if you haven't had any word from God about a timeline on something and then you get someone prophesy over you on a specific timeline how would you handle that kind of situation because like you haven't you haven't heard a specific time frame and someone comes and tells you like oh this is going to happen in okay so prophecy is not just a confirmation you you have a scroll does everyone know Psalm 139 Psalm 139 David says that you've written all your thoughts towards me before I was even born. Okay? So God, you have come from, this is what I believe. And this is Hebrew thought, this is how the Jews would think, Jewish people would think, the mystics would think. We have come from heaven to earth to fulfill a function in relationship with God, to bring forward his, his kingdom. And we've been designed in a certain way. And David says we are knitted together in our mother's womb. Now, what science has shown you is that when conception takes place, there's a flash. There's a flash. They can't explain the flash, but the Bible can explain the flash. That's when you're knitted together. Your spirit is knitted together in the reality of a physical conception. 
You are hardwired. There's a design in you that God's put in your DNA, in your spirit, that then corresponds with your parents' DNA to come in. You're not a mistake. No one is a mistake. No one is a mistake. Okay? Doesn't matter how you're brought into this earth. By whatever means, no one is a mistake from God's point of view. Because he's put something in you to be lived out from you. And what happens is, as you come into relationship with Jesus, that gets revealed to you by the Spirit through a place of intimacy. What the prophet does is take that reality that's in you and before you and speaks it to you to activate it from you. It enlivens and wakens up that which you already know. That's how you approve of, an, a, of, of a prophecy. Not because of the words, but because it's spirit to spirit, life to life, truth to truth. You go, boom! Wow! Anyone got a prophecy like that? That's how you know the prophetic's moving. Now, I know what's happening in your heart. Some of you, it's like the light's gone on, hasn't it? Put your hand up if the light just went on for you. Yeah, because I can feel the room shift. Because you've got bigger because truth's been spoken to you. <laughs> this is how it works. And so what happens is as, as that word comes forward, it creates a framework for agreement. Now there's an establishing, how does God establish everything on earth? Two or more witnesses. My word, your spirit come into agreement, establishing. That's how the spirit realm works. But now, the time, this is where we get an interpretation problem. The revelation's true, but now as I give myself to it, the first thing I've got to do with a prophetic word is agree with it. Now, Joseph agreed with the prophetic word, and he got dumped in a cistern by his brothers who wanted to kill him. Why? Because he probably immaturely announced a word that he gave agreement to with brothers that said, no way, this side of the black stump is that happening. They were the same brothers that bowed down to him in the end. But he had to go through a process of character to carry the prophetic reality. Are you there? In other words, the word tested him all his life when he came in agreement to it. So when you give agreement to the prophetic destiny that God speaks to you, now it shapes you. And you go through some stuff. You go, oh, Lord, I'm sinning. What's going wrong? No, I'm just refining you to carry the fulfillment of what I've already put in you. Can I just say also that foretelling is not usually what happens individually. Foretelling is different to foretelling. So foretelling is out of God's sovereignty. Like Pharaoh had a dream and Joseph prophesied of what's, what's going to happen. It's God's sovereignty. He's going to release something which is, which is unstoppable. Okay, unstoppable. So it's foretelling what the future is. Usually that doesn't happen. It can happen uh, where you get a foretelling word. But some people get a word which is really foretelling. God wants us to receive a word, but he wants us to play our part too. So it's not a foregone conclusion when you get a foretelling word. Because God doesn't want us to sit on our hands and wait for it to happen. La, la, la. I mean, that's not usually for an individual that doesn't happen unless you are, have a significant chosen like John the Baptist. You know what I mean? But... Um, but I would say that um, uh, when you become, when you receive a word, you need to receive it like a woman con is conceived with a husband, right? You actually get it as a conception, and you actually need to get it in your spirit and get excited. So when you're a woman who's pregnant with her husband and they announce it to their friends, what's the reaction? Oh my goodness! 
You know what I mean? I'm going <laughs> to have a baby. But do you ever hear anybody go, uh, you might have a miscarriage? Do you ever hear that? Hope not. <laughs> you usually don't hear that. You get the excitement. So when you get a promise and a word, you need to be conceived with it and go, yeah, and start acting upon it, get excited. Every now and then you feel a few kicks, right? Oh, I felt one then, right? Every now and then you feel, you feel a few kicks and you, and you feel a bit uncomfortable, but you will give birth to it and you need to get excited and celebrate it. Because that's why when John the Baptist, the angel Lord stood before Zechariah, he released an incredible word. And then Zechariah had this old grumpy old man sent down, huh? What? How could this be? My wife is well and old in years. You know, he's a grumpy old man. But what happened is, is the angel went, like, what? Okay. <laughs> Didn't speak for, for <laughs> nine months. You know, why did he do that? Because he was going to bought the mission with his mouth. So God wants us to start, we can abort the mission. If God releases a word, you can abort the mission with your mouth. And you can have a miscarriage. So you need to actually get excited, talk about it, do the, do, dance the holly gully, get excited. Amen? And, and, and you've got to carry the promise, in other words. Mary is the classic prototype example of carrying a present word of God to conception. Hey? The angel came, brought her a word, she received it, although she didn't yet understand it. How could this be? But she received it. And, and Gabriel said what? Nothing is impossible for God. No present word, no present prophetic word comes without the ability for God to perform it. But you've got to give agreement to it, and you've got to learn how to carry it and make preparation for its arrival. Amen. So does that answer your question? Africa in two years you know how much of it is actually coming from God like if it does come to pass how much is it from God and how yeah, much if, is it from you, but you, and you if, if whether you receive it or not you might think that doesn't witness to me so don't be conceived don't let it con conceived inside of you don't don't receive it if you something doesn't make sense you just shelve it spirit to spirit will bring a resonant frequency it's of the like frequency the Spirit of God operates at a higher realm than the spirit of the flesh in this world. So when you get a brewer, a disconnect, I just go put it on the shelf. Thank you very much. Tell your story walking, fella. See, I keep moving. What happened with, and let me say this though, don't ever say that's not from God. Just put it on the shelf. Don't receive it. Because what happened to me, I release words sometimes. And this has happened about five times where the afters ago, that made no sense at all, sir. I've got no idea what you're talking about. And, you know, you need to be thick-skinned. You just keep doing what you're doing, whatever. You can't let it get to you as a prophet. Otherwise, you'll be in a fetal position sucking your thumb. But what happens is I get an email from all of them six months. Or in fact, I got an email a week later with one that said, everything you said happened the day after. I apologise for being harsh on it. It happened the day after. Wow. Right? So you just got to shelve it or... You said this, but then someone rang me up and told me I'm going to go. They're paying for me to go to this nation. And you go, okay, bingo, right? And then someone else too. There's a woman, I, a barren uh, woman I called out in Mexico and I saw a vision of a beautiful little baby girl with Goldilocks hair. She was barren with a, with a husband and um, never heard from her at all. 
and they just went, oh, that's a bit, oh, wow, that's stepping out on the edge. You know, like 18 months, nothing. Come back to New Mexico, she hands me a little baby with goldy locks. And it's actually happened. I said, oh, thanks for the email. <laughs> she wanted to show the evidence. It's like, wow, you must have been excited then. <laughs> anyway, what's the next do question? Another, do you have another question? Yep. Down the back there. Is this making sense, guys? So I don't see visions at all, and I was wondering how do I tap into that? You know, because like a lot of people I know see visions all the time. Good question. Yeah. Um, I'll try and give a, I do teaching on this, but I'll quickly just, this is what I do is I, when you fast, it helps you to be sensitive. I was talking about it yesterday. Were you here yesterday, sir? Yeah. Yeah. When I talked about sleeping uh, is a short fast and you actually have vivid dreams. Did you hear me share about that? Yeah. All right. Well, the same thing when you have visions, you can fast and uh, just ask the Lord, pray in the Holy Spirit. But also, I don't know if you get this, but most of you get this. This is the entry level of receiving visions. And Daniel used to do this in Daniel 7. You lay on the bed, and it's always safe to be a bit of worship, having a bit of a worship time. But when you actually, you're laying on the bed, you're lying there, and you start to go into sleep mode, but you're not awake, right? You're crossing over, but you're not fully asleep. It's called an alpha sleep. You're actually crossing over into a sleep mode. And all these images are going through them, your mind. Have you experienced that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're having a vision, right? It's actually called a trance, and it's very scriptural. So don't walk out until I give you the scripture, right? It's called a trance. So you're lying there. You're not awake, you're just going into that sleep mode. You're not asleep, but you're not awake fully, but you're crossing over to all these images. And it can be quite abstract. And you think, that's weird. My mother-in-law's head's in a fishbowl. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, but <laughs> Did you have an argument yeah. the night before? Yeah. How many no, times you, have you had that one? And you go, that's weird, but you get all these images. And what happens, have you noticed this too, when you snap out of it and you go to write it, you go, that's weird. When I was in that place, it made sense about my mother-in-law. <laughs> but, no, but when I was in that place, it really made sense. But when I snapped out of it and I thought about it, uh, that's really weird. Have you experienced that? And it might be you coming out of a sleep as well from just having a dream. You go, that's weird. When I was dreaming or when I was in that trance having visions, those images made sense. It witnessed to me. But when I snapped out of it and I'm thinking about it, the carnal mind does not receive the things of God, you're actually thinking about it and you go, that is just weird. That doesn't make sense at all. Are you with me? Yeah. So what is the reason why it made sense in that place? Because your spirit man is getting ministered to by the Holy Spirit. God is speaking to your spirit man and you're in the spirit going, yes, uh-huh, roger that, Jesus. Because really what's happened is you come from that place. You come from eternity. You're, you were thought out before the foundations of the earth. So your spirit man belongs to the kingdom of heaven and it understands, yep, roger that, mm -hmm, that makes sense. But then when, it, when you wake up and your body's still containing it and you're thinking about it, it's like, eh? So you, that's why you need to ask the Lord to reveal the mysteries to you. You need to be in the spirit. And let me just finish this off, right? Is that, <laughs> now what I'm saying is Peter on the rooftop... I just want to just say, Peter on the rooftop, because so, I have not finished, I want to say that 
He went into a trance when he was on the rooftop in Acts 10. Just to qualify it for those who might be freaking out because I said the word trance. And by the way, there's a lot of Christians who sit there and watch television go into trance too. <laughs> but, but, but he went in a trance and he had the vision of unclean animals coming down in that trance when he, went, when he was lying there and he, he was wondering what the vision meant. So it's the same thing. The Lord said, kill and eat, and it didn't make sense. But what it was, it was a parable for the Gentiles. You know what I mean? So that can happen. Even Paul the Apostle in Acts twenty-two seventeen, he went into a trance and the Lord spoke to him. And when you read those passages of scriptures, it's in red and white even. So it's the word of the Lord. So does that make sense? Yeah. And, and sometimes you can have deja vu. Who's that deja vu? Oh, gee, been there, that, that is also the visionary realm. Often, and, and this is my experience, sometimes a vision can come to you with just a glimpse, just a snapshot, and, and it requires your faith to lay hold of it. Because what, it, what your spirit will do is produce it. There's just that glimpse in your mind's eye, but your head will come in, your intellect will come in and say, oh, that's nothing, that's just ridiculous, it's just my imagination. That's exactly right, it is your imagination. It's your sanctified imagination working with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's there for. And what it does is it gives you a snapshot. And if you're willing by faith to lay hold of the snapshot and inquire into it, it opens up like a window and then there's layers behind it. So the first thing you get requires an activation of faith. Am I making sense to everyone? So it starts as like this little glimpse. And I've learnt this is how I work through words of knowledge uh, and those things and then God started to teach me that it's not just through that way he would use all of my senses as a word of knowledge all of my my senses including smell touch hearing seeing tasting he would use all of the senses to bring the revelatory realm to bring open what he wanted to do all of that that revelatory realm all of that experience you've got to train your senses by faith. You've got to start stepping into it. And will you get some things wrong? Yeah, of course you will. You're learning. Like I said, you've got a library card. It doesn't make you Yoda. You've got to learn how to just train your senses, what works, what doesn't work, and let the Holy Spirit teach you and get good mentors around you that will cover you and, and give you confidence to step into it. And if you make a mistake, say, hey, I missed it. Because it's not about you. <laughs> Next question. I don't have a sense of having had a nightmare. I use a medical device at night and I never watch scary movies, but I can wake up screaming. I usually just claim the blood of Jesus or put a tape on. Sometimes it's a light scream, but sometimes it's quite blood piercing. Okay, can I ask a question? Uh, your childhood, uh, was your childhood uh, okay or did you have an unstable, traumatic childhood? Well, um, I nearly drowned a couple of times. Okay, we have a bingo. <laughs> and that's, that's what happens is the door is open of trauma. And uh, now there's, there's nothing wrong with you when it comes to salvation. The Lord loves you, but there is a door in the heavenlies that's open where it has given... Your mind path has given permission. It's called a soul tie. 
and your mind path has been given permission for this spirit to torment you in the night. And, uh, and that's uh, very common. There's nothing wrong with you though, like it's not, you know, but uh, you know, you're, we all can have that and we just need to be able to govern that, which is going in the spirit and shutting the door. And uh, we can actually do that now if you want to just, just if you want to stand up. Now, does um, you've been how long have you been having that that trauma? Well, it comes and goes. It started about um, maybe thirty years ago, yeah. then went away, didn't happen, and then just recently it's come back again. Yeah, sometimes incidents in your life or your your mind can can be re-triggered, that mind path can be dormant and it can be re-triggered again through incidents or through something you might have seen day to day or something like that or or you might hear hear of somebody else, a friend of yours uh, daughter or must have drowned or something like that or I'm just saying, I'm not saying it happened but that something like that can trigger off, uh, can, can actually make the mind paths um, active where it can give permission. Now, Grace teachers freak out when I talk like this. We are saved by grace and we are seated in heavenly places. We are no longer bound by curses in principle through the power of the cross, but at the same time we've got to play our part and our mind needs to be renewed. Right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your mind. We don't fully have a renewed mind fully, everyone, unless you know we cross over into glory, then it's a different thing. But we fully don't have a 100% renewed mind, anyone on earth, okay? Because um, uh, we, we're in a fallen world and there's a lot of activity going on around us. But I just want to pray for you. If you just close your eyes, and I want everybody to reach your hands out to this lady. And we're just going to go in the spirit right now. And Holy Spirit, we thank you. You're a canopy over this woman right now. You're a canopy. Holy Spirit, you're a person. You're the great counselor. We thank you, Lord Jesus for possessing her right now and i thank you that your mind lord jesus is morphing into her brain and her, her mind right now and you're lining up her mind paths into the divine order of the lord jesus christ the divine order of the revelation of you lord jesus and we decree right now that the door is shut we go in the spirit we go back in the past of that time that incident we go back in the past lord there's no time in the kingdom of heaven and we go back in the past right now in the name of Yeshua. And Lord, we just, Lord, we before she falls in that water, before she actually goes in that place of drowning, Lord, we stop it right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that your angel is with us right now. You sent the angel from the throne room of God and you stopped her from having that incident right now. And we shut the door. That door of traumas is completely shut and we seal it with the blood of Jesus. And we thank you that your blood is an aroma that drives away the demonic powers that tries to have influence over this woman's mind. And we thank you and we decree right now that Romans 12, Lord Jesus, this woman's mind is completely restored and renewed. And we decree this through the power of the blood of Yeshua and we thank you Lord God that the night dreams Lord are lining up with you Lord there's a door standing open in heaven like John the Apostle in Revelation 4 I thank you she's Lord she's getting caught up in that realm and where she's having godly encounters we decree Lord there's angels ascending and ascending over her she's lining up with a cascade of the angelic realm and we thank you for the revelation of Yeshua is burning through the memory and through her mind right now and we thank you Lord even the 
the panic attacks is coming off of her as well. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, even the palpitations in the heart are coming into divine order right now through the power of the blood in Jesus' name. And she looks to what is ahead of her, which is blessings, a hope in the future. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have, says the Lord, is to give you a hope and a future, not to harm you, but to bless you in Jesus' name. Shakarapa roko sika hallelujah. There's a lot of glory over you, lady. Jesus loves you. We love you as well. Another memory came to mind. I was quite a small child, probably about three, and my father threw I could see myself being thrown from the doorway onto a bed and screaming as I went through the air. Okay, well mm. the Lord's revealed that as well. So Father, we go back in that we go back in the past and we reverse that. We thank you, Lord, that you're stopping that incident in the spirit. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord Jesus, you're, you're, you're bracing her in the spirit and you're bringing her through the right door. And that's you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, she's going back into that place. I see creative, a creative mind. Over, you have a creative arts over your mind and over your heart. And God wants you to start activating that when you see what the lord shows you he wants you to put it down and and actually he wants you to actually start being creative with what the lord is showing you we release this right now over this great woman of god in the name of yeshua amen bless you honey we probably have time for two more questions Um, you guys mentioned before, um, talked a little bit about the future <clears throat> of our country and, um, and ScoMo and so on. Um, just want to get, maybe get your expansion a little bit more on those thoughts in terms of what you're seeing for the future of the church here in Australia and what you're seeing, I guess, also governmentally here in Australia. Well, I, do you want to do, do it? Because I've been, I've been doing a lot. No, but I'll say it, but I think you need to sort of use your vocal cords. <laughs> I think God has been, well, Jesus has been wanting his church back since 2007. And when, when God moved powerfully in 2007, it laid a foundation for a transformation of a heart to bring a new relational connection. The Father Heart of God, the last revival that we had um, through Toronto was not about laughing. It was about the Father's love, the Heavenly Father's love. And what, what we, what I, when I travel the world and when I travel Australia, this is what I notice. The church is connected to a structure, to a man, and has lost its connection to Jesus Christ. It has lost its ability to move with the Holy Spirit and it's got an ability to move in the flesh through structure and programs. It is so far from the apostolic blueprint of what Jesus desired and what he won for at the cross that we've become impotent in our mandate and we've lost our direction. I think the reformation you're going to see is first of all a restoration of a heart. Australia is crying out for a revival by people that don't even walk in the spirit. You can't cry for a revival of the Spirit if you're not willing to give yourself to the Spirit. So how can God answer the prayer of revival if you don't want him in the church? 
how can you get a revival when you don't even want the Holy Spirit in the church? I'm just asking you. It, it, it's, it's a ridiculous prayer. Yeah, it's good. Revival on my terms. God doesn't do things according to how I want them. It's good. Paul. He meets me where I'm at to do things how he wants to do them. And he brings me into his world. He comes into my world to bring me into his world. And I think what you're going to see is a radical, radical separation between those who will live for Jesus and those who will live for religion. And you will see a radical separation and you'll actually see the authentic rise and it will be the authentic church that reaches a generation that is searching desperately for the solution of Jesus Christ in a troubled world. We are in a perfect storm mm. if you look at postmodernism and what it's debilitated. It's pulled down all of the modernistic social structures of which was God. The Good. church is no longer in the center of, the, of culture. It's on the fringe. Good. And unless we learn where we really are and know how to approach people, the world, in a post-Christian world, in a post-modern world, then we will not bring in the harvest that is at hand. It's good, and so God is asking us to look again at his pattern, which is way more fluid, way more dynamic, way more powerful and enabling to reach the world that is broken and it knows it's broken. It is crying out from the rooftop. But the church is offering traditional solutions to the problems a millennial generation doesn't have. It wants to see the authenticity of Jesus. Jesus needs to come back in the church. He needs to be incarnated in the church and revealed through the church. And then you'll see your great harvest. That's good. That's real good, Paul. Yeah, it's my good. view. <laughs> Adam, do you want to share that word mate, that you got, the two Ps? Okay. Well, I, just, to conf, just to share, the pastor, Ben, has asked me to... Ask if you'd like to. ...to uh, <laughs> share the word. It's, it's, the word I had with the foot in the door is the Prime Minister was selected internally of Parliament and over the rival that was going on and he happens to be a prime a minister who's born again, uh, and he is a man of God. I've, I've um, yeah, he's, he's a Pentecostal man of God, which is good. He's probably not perfect. I don't believe he is, but he's a man of God. But what happened was a, it's actually a divine time for the nation. And but I got woken up, and I'm not into politics. I'm not in saying you've got to vote for Liberal or Labor. I'm not into that. But what God wants is the righteousness to reign in this nation, and He wants righteous leaders. And I had this vivid vision and I released it where it was a foot in the door, which, which the, the, the word was it's time to gather the nation believers and pray. It's time for the leaders to get together and believers to pray for the next election for, uh, for Scott Morrison to be prime minister. And that's actually God's will. And... Uh, the word was, he gave me two P words, was prayer or persecution. It's either prayer or persecution. What is it going to be? Now, God's going to bring a reformation to this nation. He's going to bring a revival to this nation. But it's either the easy way or the hard way. And when I say revival, there's different levels of revival. But I really believe bringing righteousness back to this nation. And God will do it and he can do it. Do it. I really believe that. But, it, but he'll do it whether... Believers will pray or they don't pray because when it comes to a point when there's darkness becomes so dark in this nation where 
where we're coming under persecution, it brings passion and brings believers to rise up as well. And that's why, that's what happened with the Holocaust. I don't believe that Israel would have been birthed again if there wasn't a Holocaust. Okay, so goodness comes out of it. So, but it's either the easy way or the hard way. And what happened with America, I really believe now some of you might not like Trump. He's not my cup of tea either. But he's a pit bull and God's actually chosen, he's chosen a vessel to bring change. I mean, Martin Luther, the Lutheran, right, he was a Catholic monk initially. He wasn't the nicest guy. You know, he had actually, he had a wrong spirit really in a way. He was, his language wasn't all that good back then too. But God looked at this vessel and said, hmm, this is an unusual vessel I made. I'm going to put that right in this generation. <laughs> And the Lord will do that. And he's done that with, with Trump. And he has a great mentor influence, which is Pence, like the, the vice president, is influencing him. I've just saw a, I've just shared on my Facebook uh, about uh, Trump saying, you know, Happy Easter to everybody. He's talking about Christ dying and resurrected and also talking about the Passover with the Jews. And he's giving glory to God, quoting scriptures. I mean, come on. I mean, he's not, he's not the probably the best guy to do it but he's doing it <laughs> you know what i mean so what i'm saying is that people prayed even the amish got together and prayed and for once the church in america actually had agreement and prayed and it put the pause button on satan's plans because there is a there is a world order coming but what happened the reason why we have so many people react so badly it's almost disgusting the reactions with trump the, the lefties, the way they carry on. You're seeing women screaming in the streets like they're demon-possessed, right? Because Trump won. What that's going on, what's happening is in the unseen world, demons are freaking out. It's almost like what happened with the resurrection, <laughs> all right? So, and the reason why I'm saying this is that because the believers came together for once and really agreed and, and God put the pause button on the enemy's plan and the same thing happened with the Tower of Babel. Because what happened was that there was this technology back then that a lot of people didn't know about. And there was this, why would God be so worried and concerned about a tower being built connecting to the heavens? Which really, in a way, there was something supernatural about that. It wasn't just a tower because it seems immature building a tower to get to, to the heavens. It was actually something tech, with technology that was actually tapping into a portal. It was something supernatural. And that's why God was saying, we've got to confuse the language here. We've got to do something. So God put his finger on the pause button because he had a better plan, which is the redemption power of God coming into play. So God did that with the Tower of Babel, and I believe he did it with Trump, right? He did it with this era in America. So now, now that's all in place, and I believe God's going to do it here in Australia. That's my point. He's going to put the finger on the pause button, and I really believe there's going to be a lot of salvations and a lot of people coming into the kingdom I really believe that. We, we reject Donald Trump because he doesn't reveal the character of Christ. Yeah, basically that's the Christian opposition to Donald Trump. Have we ever thought that he has the character for the assignment at hand? Who would have withstood two years of a Mueller inquiry? The backlash from the, the, from the media. Who could have, in, in all the American presidents, who would have sustained that kind of vitriol and attack and relished it. It took a unique 
human being. That, <laughs> hey? It took a unique human being. I don't think you'll see another Donald Trump. And, 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 and he, he's a mystery to me. But I go, I would be dead by now if I... I, I couldn't emotionally carry that level of fundamental opposition and he gets up and has breakfast on it every morning and energizes him. And I go, you are a unique vessel for a unique assignment. Yeah, yeah. Can I just say this? Let's be slow to judge what doesn't fit with our pattern, but may be fitting with God's pattern. That's good. That's good. Do we have a last question? No one likes to be the last question, but anyone. The last opportunity. Once. Twice. Oh, now we've got two. What do we do here? I'm going to go to Mike. And if it's quick, we'll fit the last one in. Like, in the, in the spiritual realm and that of what you see, you see um, anxiety disorders and uh, PSD, PD and all this why is it so prevalent now where we never seen it before is it what we're speaking into being or accepting I, I think there's multiple multiple reasons one of it is spiritual because things are hotting up in the spirit realm if you if you haven't noticed society the integrity of society, the pillars of society, the, the boundaries of society and who we are in society is under serious, serious fragmentation. We, we are probably a, the most broken as a society we've ever been um, because largely because of the pursuits of postmodernism and what we hold as our value system. Once you move from modernism to postmodernism, there's nothing after postmodernism. You basically get chaos. That's its design. It, postmodernism as an intellectual thought process is designed to destroy pillars, not replace them and build anything. Postmodernism cannot build. It destroys. Its, its whole purpose is to deconstruct. That means we are coming into a place where people have lost connection with stability. People have lost connection with relational stability. People have lost connection with identity, who they are. They've lost connection with stability of what is true, what is no longer true. When you bring chaos into the world, you get fragmentation. And as all of the science is showing us, society is more self-loathing and narcissistic than ever before. Narcissism is a pathological disorder, broken people manifest to create identity and recognition where they have no value and worth. Because of that, we are moving in a spiritual paradigm of fear and fragmentation. We have lost the government realm of God's peace and order. Can I... Okay, Does that make finish? sense? Yeah. That's the foundation that operates. Because remember, the spirit dimensions operates in the hearts and the minds of humanity through culture. We think culture is separate from the spirit realm. No, it's not. It's all shaped. Because humanity shapes the culture it wants to live in. Thoughts shape the culture. How I identify in my culture, it's all, it, it all interacts. And so we mirror each other because we want to be accepted in a culture. 
And when you, when you live separated from the love of God, when you sit, live separated, even the church is living separated. This is my point before. Then the church can't be the solution to the problem that the world has because the, the solution to the problem the world had is reconnection to the love and the heart of God. Does that make sense? So what operates is a fragility and a spiritual environment that torments people through their woundedness and open gates that should be filled with Jesus Christ. And I just say this to finish off. I agree with 100% with Paul what he's saying. I really believe society's, the whole technology, artificial intelligence, the increase of knowledge and technology in this world is also messing up people because, you know, I believe there's a lot of more depression in the world than there, there was, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But, I mean, there's always been depression, but I think technology is actually... Deteriorating the minds of, of, of humans, and I really believe some of the things that the Lord showed me, and it's in my latest book, which I haven't released it yet, but it's called the Elijah Invitation, where God showed me that there's things to come in the next 40 years, and He showed me that there's going to be now this is a bit out there, but it's real that there's going to be um, androids, there's going to be um, human like machines that are, you wouldn't know the difference between humans and, and people. And these, these machines are going to be super intelligent, obviously, and they're going to have a lot of knowledge, and they're going to be like counselling men and women because people's minds, people in the future, and I'm just saying this is the plans of the enemy. This is not God's plan, and things are going to change because there's going to be a corporate company rising up. The body of Christ is going to look different than what it looks now. But, but these machines... And the way technology is going is going to mix with man and it's going to be like counselling man and actually, in a way, having the answers to everything and even controlling the minds of men and women as the media does. And the Lord has shown me this. This is a bit out there, but when you read Matthew, excuse me, Daniel chapter 2, when the Lord uh, gave Nebuchadnezzar the statue image of different empires, different... Um, medals represent different empires. The gold represents Babylon, silver, the Persians. Uh, uh, then there was the, um, um, the uh, bronze, which represents the Greeks, and the iron represents uh, Rome. But then there was the feet mixed with, it was clay mixed yeah. with iron, which really is a metaphor. When you read that, uh, when you read Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, I believe it is, it says that, that man is going to mingle. Uh, it's got, the seed of man's going to mingle with this. And it's got to be, the clay represents humans, man's, because man come from clay, mixed with iron. Okay, so there's going to be harp, there's going to be technology, machines mixing with, with, with humans. But it's very brittle, and as you praise God, it gets smashed because this mountain represents the kingdom of God, rises up and smashes it. Because it's going to be victory and it's very brittle and it's not going to last long. But, but the Antichrist is going to try and operate through this. Because to answer your question, man's minds are deteriorating. And they're becoming depressed. And they're going to depend on more technology and machines in the future. But praise God, there's going to be the body of Christ is going to look completely different. It's going to raise up in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And like I said before, it's going to have influence over leaders. And the modern day New Covenant... Nebuchadnezzar's are going to crumble and, and bow the knee to God. And I really believe that there is a, 
I really want to ask you guys, are you going to be a part of this new breed? Can, can I just say something to add to that? This is where all the neuroscience well-being is tracking. It's telling us that technology is destroying our relationships. Through our relationships, we release chemicals in our interactions that keep our well-being, our emotional well-being, and our happiness. When we depend more on technology than relationship, we devoid ourselves of the chemical release and we substitute it for basically dopamine and other fix. Everything becomes instant, a bit like I spoke about this morning. The reality is we are made for relationship, not for technology to replace our relationship. Even the way we communicate, 94% of your communication is by non-verbal means. It's interaction. It's how you feel around me, not just intellectual verbosity. Does that make sense? When we lose that interaction, we lose the chemical release of our well-being, which we are designed to interact with, and we then depend on a substitute. That's why we're getting fractured. That is awesome. Has, has, has anyone got anything out of this? We have been here for nearly two hours. Yes. Yeah. Give them a I said this yesterday and I'll say it again because I, I need us to understand something. These, these men don't come because they're going to get a big payday or because I've, I've swindled them to come. They come because they have a heart's desire to see us, the saints and the, and the church, come into maturity so that we can be who we're supposed to be. They have a desire to see the church of God actually step into what God has, has asked us to be. So they spend time equipping so that we can go out and do what we're supposed to do. So I just, if, if we can, this is not an easy thing. They sacrifice to be here. Their family sacrifice for them to be here. Adam's wife spends a, a lot of time on, on her own as a sacrifice to send him into the churches and to allow them to grow and to build. Same as Tracy, when Paul comes, he's here for just over a week. Tracy sacrifices to, to, to allow him to be here. That's something that I want us as a family to honor because of, they've come for us to help us build and they've come to see God's church. So can we just clap again? Because I think it's one of, the, one of the biggest things we have to honor. Let's just give them a round of applause. Eh?